Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Oh, well, good morning, North Shore. Good, good. I am lead pastor Scott Harris, and uh, I am excited for this series uh, because the series, uh, as God was leading uh, me to it, just, I think, lines up uh, just kind of in our in our space of an aching nation and aching people, right? So if you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers will begin to bring Bibles to you. Uh, good, Zach, are we good there, brother? So yeah, um, once they get lined up. And we're going to be in the book of Jonah today. Uh, if you uh, did not catch last week's message by Sanjay, he kicked off the series for us. And like only Sanjay can do, just set an amazing, deep uh, foundation. So we know the context of the book of Jonah as we begin to walk through it. Um, so will you just uh, turn to the book of Jonah and let me pray. Father God, you're good. And I just pray that you be with us this morning. We want to hear your word, your word to come in deep into our lives and transform and change us. And then we want to go and be doers of your word. So prepare our hearts, our minds for your word now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, and the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is this small but powerful book. Only four chapters, but it, it plays out like a, a riveting action movie. There is these twists and these turns, these highs and these lows. As we go through it, there'll be times that we will be depressed. I was like, oh, no. But it's amazing. And so as we go through this book, uh, we're going to discover some things. And I want you to look out for them. Because what I know is many of you, many of us, are battle-weary. We're tired. Been a long time. And this book is one to remind us of what God is doing and things that we can discover about our journey here on earth. So how I want you to listen to this book, I want you to look for yourself. Because we find ourselves in this book. Like Jonah, God has called us to be a voice for him to bring the gospel to this world. Like the nation of Israel, we are victims, victims of a, a godless nation rising up and pressing in on us. And we're also, we're, we're the villains in this story. Like Nineveh and the Assyrians, we are sinners that need saved. We need God's love and his mercy. See, the book of Jonah, it's God's story. And in God's story, we'll see that he invites people into his story. And I want us to look for where are we being invited into God's story. So this book is going to be amazing, and I'm excited for it. You discover in this book these, these points of tension all through it. These points of tension, of crisis of faith, crisis of belief as a journey with God. And it's in those points, those tension points, that they come to crossroads. These crossroads where they have to make a decision. 
Will I follow God or will I not? And when you see them choose to follow God in this book, you're going to see God take them further than they thought. He's going to blow their minds. He's going to do great things through people and in people here. And I believe this, and it's why we're going to this book, that God wants to take you further than you think. He wants to do a, a work greater than you can imagine all around you and in you and through you. This book is powerful, and it has a word for us today. So let's jump into the book of Jonah. You turn to Jonah, it's in the Old Testament, to the back of the Old Testament, and it's okay to go to your table of contents because it's only four chapters it's got in there, okay? So the book of Jonah, you head there. And we're going to start off in Jonah 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So the first crossroads that we're going to see in this book, that first point of tension, is going to be right with Jonah himself. It wastes no time, right? It wastes no time. So he has to ask himself, which way? Which way do I go? Follow God or not to follow God. And this is going to be one of those depressing low points of the book. And there's a few of them. Here's what he does. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Which way? He made a decision. And I want to look at that in verse 3. It's our text for today. We're going to see Jonah's response at first is Jonah rejects God's call. So look at Jonah's rejection. And the first thing that Jonah rejects is God's authority. Jonah rejects God's authority. You see in verse 3 there, you know, verse 2 he says, right, arise and go, right, to Nineveh. Now Jonah's a prophet of the Lord, and what a prophet is to do is to do and go exactly where and say what God tells them to say. Okay, so God says, arise and go to Nineveh. Verse 3 hits this. It starts out, he rose up and did what? Went to Tarshish. <laughs> okay. So what he did is he went the exact opposite direction. You said go east to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And I am going to go west as far as I can go to Tarshish. To flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, uh, know this. What this means 
Jonah knew you could not flee from God's presence. It was a known uh, theology and doctrine that you cannot escape God's presence all through the Old Testament. No, what this means is he wants to flee from the place that God is over the nation of Israel, the people of God, where God is in charge. This is about authority. He's saying, I don't want to be where you're in charge. I'm going this way. How many of you have raised teenagers? <laughs> there we go. The leave the room, the slamming door, right? You're in charge right now, and I know it, and I don't want to be here. I don't want to do that. Right? That's what's happening here. That's what he means by flee from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want to obey his authority. So when we're looking at authority, I'm going to take just a little sidestep here because it's important. The number one question I'm getting right now and have for the last year and a half is guess what? Authority. So I'm going to give you the 10-cent version of it, and this hopefully will provoke a lot of conversations. But let me just kind of, what is the biblical teaching on authority? Okay, to start there, go to Matthew 28 if you want. I'll read it. should be on your screen here. There you go. Matthew 28, in context. This is Jesus after he uh, was resurrected. He reappeared on earth for 40 days, and this is his last charge to his disciples. Okay, and he opens it up this way. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, what we see here is who has all authority? Jesus. He is the highest and the primary authority for a Christian. Jesus. Romans 13.1 says this, that God places all authorities on earth. So Jesus, in his authority, places all other authorities on earth. Okay? So listen to this. We acknowledge Jesus' authority in our life when we obey the authorities he places in our life. Get that? Okay? So you're scared right now, I can tell. It begs the question you're asking right now. Every authority? All of them? No. Is that good news to you? See your shoulders drop a little bit? No. Not all authorities. Does he place all authorities? Yes. Are we to obey all authorities? No. I'm going to bring you into my world, and that's a little scary, so be ready. Um, well, this is a, a, the, the test I use, and it comes out of uh, the New Testament teaching and proclamation, and it's this. I call it the Jesus is Lord test. All through the New Testament, that's the phrase, that's the calling. Christ is Lord, Jesus is Lord, everywhere. So that becomes this litmus test of how we are to evaluate and how I evaluate the governments over me, the authorities over me. I ask myself, 
do I get to proclaim and live out that Jesus is Lord? And what does it mean to be Jesus as Lord? I wrote this up. I want to read it. The mindset and proclamation of Jesus Lord means this. By faith, I am living in and for God's kingdom where Jesus is my God, King, Savior, and example, and I worship him alone. Read that again. By faith, I am living in and for God's kingdom where Jesus is my God, King, Savior, and example, and I worship him alone. That is what it means when you proclaim Jesus is Lord. And if any authority asks you to violate that, you don't obey. A couple of examples of this uh, Jesus is Lord, uh, God's kingdom question as a test. Book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Jewish boys in captivity under a bad government. They say, hey, you bow down to this golden image. And worship it. What did they say? A lot of you know the story. No. We worship God alone. And they went to the fiery furnace. Okay. So they evaluated. Does this get in the way? Is God is my Lord? For us, Jesus is Lord. The answer is yes, it would. Jesus can't be Lord and you bow down to something else. Can't happen. So the answer, obey authority, government here? No. No. Right? And you step through and you take the consequence right there. Another example, Jesus himself. Okay, he is approached and they said, Hey, should we pay taxes? And it's taxes to Rome, an ungodly, uh, oppressive uh, empire that has them in captivity. And so these uh, Pharisees, they want to know. No, it's God alone, man. God alone. So we're going to test you, Jesus. Do we pay taxes and support this ungodly nation? Many of you know what he says. He says, get a coin. You have one? Whose picture's on that? Caesar's. Get, right? You guys know it? Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. Give to the Lord what is Lord's. What he did is he did the, the Jesus is Lord test. Can you pay taxes to a nation that is not following biblical values? And still proclaim Jesus is Lord. What does Jesus say? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Okay? So, you proclaim Jesus is Lord. So the answer is, yes, submit to that authority. Give them their taxes. And they're asking for way more than they should, but that's a whole other political conversation here. But I get you. Well, I know Jesus gets their heartache. But he says, yes, you can still proclaim Jesus is Lord. And there's something you can... This could be meaningful from it. So uh, another test there, Jesus is Lord. That's our test. Now the challenge is this, ready? The challenge is this, that in Romans 13 and throughout different places in Scripture, uh, God, for somebody proclaiming Jesus is Lord, worshiping him, gives us personal convictions. You with me? Personal convictions. Uh, and so in that, personal convictions, what do we do? Because God's going to give each of us different personal convictions under different authorities. You know, it still always starts with our primary authority, Jesus, what does he teach it? If it violates that, then you have to obey Jesus and the authorities put in there. But if it's in these questionable things, God may give you personal conviction. 
And in 1 Peter 3, 15, and if you're into this whole authority thing, I believe 1 Peter's chapter 2 and 3 are the best for us today to study and to know. Because it's all about authority. It's all about being in authority underneath Nero, the Roman emperor, the most vile of emperors for Christians. And it talks about this. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Honor Christ as Lord in your heart. It starts there. So you have to ask yourselves when you're faced with this and you're getting agitated. And I know, I've said this many times, my wife there knows this well. I don't like to follow any rules, just so you know. I like to go at Scott's pace, Scott's way, and everything. Um, and so <laughs> it's a problem sometimes, right, Sandy? <laughs> so in that, I don't like to fight, follow any authority. But I'm a Christian, so Jesus as Lord is always my call. And so I've got to test my heart. Is this issue I'm coming up against a Jesus issue or a Scott issue? I don't want you to tell me what to do. Leave me alone. I know. Get out of there. Get out of my space. It's a test I have to do every day, and I call you into it. You have to. And that'll take you sometimes to submitting to authorities you don't agree with. It's going to take you some time to places sometimes that you're going to have to not submit to authorities that are asking you to do something that violates Jesus as your Lord. That's the ten sent version of it. Love to talk more, but know this. We are people, and we need to be people under authority. It's what allows God to be Lord of our life, right? So it starts there. So I love you. So Jonah, back to him, disobeyed authority. He rejected God's authority, but he also rejected God's assignment. He got a hard one. Go to Nineveh, Israel's enemy. Israel's enemy. You know, extra biblical teachings say that they believe that five of Jonah's brothers were killed by the Assyrians. Just to give you a little potential context of where he was called to. To give you a picture of this hard call. It's like a Jew in 1940, World War II, going to Nazi Germany and going to the Third Reich, and you'll see where this goes later in the book, but Jonah knows this, and in inviting the Third Reich into your family. Would that be a hard call? A hard assignment by God? Yes. And that's what Jonah is feeling. He says, this is too painful. I don't agree with this. God, I can't do this. I won't do this. And he boards a ship for Tarshish, the opposite direction. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? We have to remember, excuse me, In Matthew 28, when I just uh, uh, read there, uh, what Jesus says at the end of that, that I will be with you always until the end of the age. So whatever hard call that you're called into, it could be a place, right? 
I mean, it's tough right now for a, a Bible-believing Christian, right, to be in our place when it feels like the nation around us is going further and further away from biblical values, right? It's hard, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's hard. There, there, there's hard people we're called to. Man, you may have been car- called into a hard marriage. It's not easy. Your boss, your coworker, there may be someone who's broken your heart that God calls you into. Or situation. Right now, so much on the career and job is just a lot of pressure now. A lot of pressure financially. Tough situations. And man, I think this big one, health. There's a lot of people went to that doctor's visit and they heard that diagnosis and they're thinking, I don't want this call. I don't want to walk this out. They got that phone call. I don't want to walk this road. But remember the promise. God will always be with you. You don't do it alone. Jonah is not expected to do this without God. But he rejected God's heart assignment. Then it goes on. And what we see how, how he responds with rejecting God's authority and in rejecting God's assignment is Jonah runs. That second part of verse 3 there, you see that? Jonah 1, chapter 3. He runs. He goes the opposite direction. He actually goes to what they believe is really easy street. It'd be like this. You're called to Las Vegas, and you take off to Dubai, the richest place in the world, right? That's exactly the equivalence here. They called Nineveh the bloodthirsty city. Sin City. Heard that phrase before, right? That kind of mindset place. Because now I'm going to run away from God and where God's even being talked to. We're going to go over to Dubai where it's just all about the money. That's what he's doing. He runs. But what he's running for, if you look at Jonah, uh, you can turn there if you want. I'll read it. What is he running from? Okay, Jonah chapter 4 tells us. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Jonah says to God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. But Jonah knew this is, God, I know your character. I know your character. I know your heart and your power. Your heart is to love people, care for people. And you and you alone can turn the darkest day in, or darkest night into day. Change the hardened heart and soften it. God can do that. Jonah knew it. That's why he did not want to go because he knew God was capable of this. So in that, I want to remind you, as he sends you in hard assignments, as we live in a hard assignment, to be reminded about God's character and power. He loves all people and wants to do his good work in them. 
He sends us on hard assignments to bring the light of his glory. He can use us to change the most sinful city. Do you believe that to be true? He can use us to show his love to the most unlovable people. He can use us to show his peace in the hardest of situations. I love what Jesus says in Luke 18, 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So know this. Be reminded what God can do. And this last point I want to talk about is Jonah was running from God's confidence. Jonah was running from God's confidence. Let me ask you a question. In the book of Jonah, what you know of it, and the answer is in verse 1 and 2, uh, chapter 1. Who believed that Jonah could do this? Who had confidence in Jonah? There's only one person in the story. God. God believed that Jonah could do this. Nobody else did, but God believed him. God believed that he could take Jonah further than he thought. God knew he could blow his mind and do a great work in the great sinful city of Nineveh. Jonah was the first Old Testament prophet to be called out of Israel into a Gentile country. God knew he could take him further than he thought and do a greater work than he ever thought. As we look at this story, as we go through this, I want you to know this. God wants to take you further than you think. He wants you to do a greater work, something that would blow your mind, something that you can't do. Because he says in Ephesians 3, verse 20, that he can do more than we can imagine, more than we can think, more than we can even ask for. Because he does it through us. We don't have to do it. If you choose to follow God and allow him to be Jesus, your Lord, he can take you further than you can think. Doing a greater work in you, through you, and all around you. How can our state change? How can our city change? God and God alone. But he will call faithful people right in the battle to go and proclaim Jesus as Lord and live that out. And he's going to do an amazing work. I want to take a moment to um, invite Peggy Gray, our sister in the Lord, on our teaching team, our curriculum team. Uh, uh, and I've asked her if she would just share um, a testimony when she was at a crossroads and she had to ask herself which way. Peggy? God knows that I can do this. <laughs> so um, I think that when Jonah was running away and his reasons for it and everything and knowing about Nineveh, that he was a man that was filled with bitterness and I know from personal experience just how poisoning that is to a life and how hard that is. And um, that really, I lived that um, for a portion of, of the last year. Um, it was last November that I found myself at my father's bedside as he was passing away. 
that was actually an incredible gift from God that I got to be there because um, between the lockdown with the pandemic and then some really um, long-standing complicated dynamics in our extended family, I almost never saw my dad. I hadn't seen him for nine months, and before that, I only really saw him quarterly or once in a very great while on Zoom. Um, but I was there, and you know, I only, it was just like two hours from when I got there, and then he was gone. Um, there, that's, that was a lot to take in really suddenly, but what was even harder was that in that set of circumstances, I was made aware of some truths that were mind-blowing and shocking. And um, a person that I should have been able to trust was demonstrated to be untrustworthy on every level, and there was a profound betrayal of myself, my siblings, and of my dad. So there was more that came to light over the, the days that followed. And I was just confused. I was grieving. I was shocked. And very shortly, just within a couple of days, that all got buried under this soup of outrage and anger. And I, man, I wanted, I, I, I used all the right holy words. I wanted God's justice. I wanted retribution. I wanted um, vindication. What I really wanted was um, really, really good punishment and revenge. Um, and that, you know, vengeance was more, more in, in line with my thinking. And, you know, I think that those emotions were probably justified and not unhealthy, except that that's where I got stuck. I wasn't able to move forward. I wasn't able to move forward in grieving. I wasn't able to move forward with my life. I was just flat stuck there. I would pray. And every time that I prayed, I got on the same track of listing out every one of the offenses that I was aware of and, in, and you know, embellishing them with others that I thought were probably in the, should be there too. And, and just, you know, fleshing it out a little bit more so that God would really know just how much this, this, was, this justification was deserved. Well, I was miserable because I was bitter. Well, so God let me have the time to be there for a while, and then April comes along, and Sanjay came, and he did a sermon, and in his sermon, he shared a situation in his life where he had been profoundly angry, but God met him and helped him to take the step of forgiving and then being able to move forward, and he arrived at a place of peace. And then after that, just within days of that, I discovered that our our dear Pat had also had the experience of being very angry, feeling betrayed, and God also brought him to this place of, of peace and being able to move forward. So I reached out to Pat and said, you know, this thing you and Sanjay have been describing, I don't know how to get there. Would you have some time to talk to me? Now, that's not the only thing I did. I also, you know, I had met with a counselor, and I, and I did have that meeting with Pat. He listened to my whole story, and he did give me some things that I could work on, which were wonderful, but there was one thing that he shared, and I don't know if he even knows, he's finding out now, that the most profoundly helpful thing that he gave me was he, he shared a prayer that he had prayed, which was, God, help me to be willing to be willing to forgive 
And that really was the spot. I was not willing to forgive. I was cherishing my anger against this person, and it was bitter. And so I took that prayer, and I started praying that prayer. Every time I would start to get into a conversation with God and I would get back on the track, I would stop and say, Lord, you know I don't want to be here. Help me to be willing to be willing to forgive. Well, God being God, he answers prayers. And I started to get a little softer, and my conversations with him began to broaden. And there was a day when I said, you know, Lord, I really do want justice in this situation. You know, this really was, this really isn't fair. And he reminded me of the way he handled justice in my life. And I was reminded that he didn't just take my sin to the cross. He took my enemy's sin to the cross. And anything that had been done by that individual was already settled. what, What she does with it is between she and God, but it's not between me and God. And I was able to leave it there. Um, I prayed that God would free me from bitterness, and he did. And the bigger thing is that I, was, I got that peace. I was able to do that thing that, that Jesus told us to do in the Gospel of Luke, which he says to, to you who hear me, I'm saying, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. And I began praying for her. And praying um, for God to bless her. And for God to heal those things in her life that need to be healed and to work in her life. Now, I have no idea what the outcome of those prayers is on her end of the deal because it's unlikely I'll ever meet this person again. That's the, it, who knows what God will do, but that, I don't think that's practical. Um, but I know what it's done on my end, and it has set me free from that horrible, paralyzing bitterness, and I am able again to walk with the Lord. So thank you for listening. Good. As the band comes out, I just um, uh, thank you, Peggy, for sh- sharing that. And um, it, it's hard to get up here just because you guys sit there and look. It's scary, just so you know. Um, but also to put your story out there is really hard, too. You know, that's a very, very um, vulnerable place to be. And so thank you for trusting us with that, Peggy. Um, and it's interesting. If you look at her story, uh, she was brought to a crossroads. She had a decision to make, didn't she? She had to ask herself, which way? Which way do I go? And she came back to this. Who is my Lord? Not what do I want to do? What am I comfortable? What's my preference? Right? All those creeped up. Right? You heard her story? But this phrase, she asked herself, who is my Lord? What has my Lord done for me? What does he ask me to do? I don't like this. But because Jesus was her Lord, she said yes, and she went, and he took her further 
than she thought and did a greater work. She just spoke uh, to hundreds of people. She just gave testimony about something that Jesus can do to hundreds of people. God has taken her further than she ever thought with this testimony. And I know there's people right now thinking, whoo, I've got that person. I've got that thing, right? So it's going to keep going. It's a powerful, greater work. But it starts with this. Who's your Lord? We want to be people that go there. But it starts with this. Is Jesus my Lord? Romans 10 is clear. We have to believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, it says. And confess with our mouth that he was raised from the dead, meaning he went to the cross for our sins, took on our cross, went to the grave, and three days later rose, was resurrected, having victory over death so that we could be with him forever in heaven. But it starts with this. Ask yourself, who's your Lord? Is Jesus your Lord? Because when we answer that question, and the answer is yes, no matter how strong the seas surge around us, guess what? We won't be overwhelmed. Not because of our strength, because of him. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He's not the Lord of your life. I don't invite you over on the side stages uh, or areas for, uh, for prayer. There'll be people there. Uh, you make your way either during the song, after the song, over there. And you do the most important thing you can do. If you're online, you text. I know the team is there waiting. We have pastors uh, online. You say, I'm ready. And there is a breakout Zoom session. You can Talk to someone privately to say yes to Jesus and make him the Lord of your life. There's something you need to prayer for. He is the Lord of your life, and you're just struggling. Maybe you're just struggling with what's going on, authority, the calling, whatever it is. Go to him in prayer. We want to meet you there. So I'm going to invite the worship band to just lead us. Please stand up, and let's just cry out, Jesus is our Lord, and nothing will overtake us when he is our Lord.